So as I was thinking back, I probably started watching inaugurations with my grandparents. And the first one I can really remember was President Eisenhower. But after that, in 1960, and then from then on, I really do remember that it was an important part of my life every four years to watch the inauguration of our president. And like many of you, this last week, I was both proud and I was hopeful as I watched the swearing in of our new president. After almost two years of endless, endless ad nauseum TV ads, after all the nasty barbs went back and forth, after what occurred on January 6th in our capital, at exactly 12 noon, there was this historic and orderly transition of power from one president to another. <clears throat> Just a hand on the bottom and a pledge to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution. So help me God. But I must share with you this morning that I also felt sad, not politically sad, but sad believing as I do that America remains exhausted and angry. Yes, certainly the pandemic has impacted us in every way, shape, and form. No one would deny that. Just think, last year at this time, things were normal. Little did we know, little did we expect what this past year was going to bring. And what it has brought has almost in my own feelings and in my own heart overwhelming. From protests over persistent racial injustice to counter-protests. From a confusing COVID response to mixed messages from healthcare institutions that we thought we could trust. From economic collapse to race and issues with policing. From riots and destruction of property to toppling of historic monuments. Culminating, of course, in the outright attack on our capital. And I'm yet to figure out what woke means. Whether I'm in or whether I'm out. But let me suggest that all of this, all of this, has left us, I believe, wondering who we are, what we stand for, where we are going, and what will define us. Anger. Studies tell us that anger causes us to adopt attitudes that run against our spiritual, our personal, and our moral ideals. We become persons we're not. 
eats away at our spirit, our mind, and then attacks our heart. And it festers within us until it just consumes us. And from anger, we move to blame. And we look for a person or a group or a movement or a party. Anybody and anyone will do. I've been struck by the quote from the Canadian writer Douglas Crookland who suggests blame is just a lazy person's way of making sense of chaos. My mentor and minister, in fact, the one who said, you should really be leaving Ford Motor Company and going into the ministry, John Toy, used to tell me Lou, you want to blame someone? Watch me now. He said, put out your hand and point your finger. And then he'd say, look, one finger is pointed at who or what you're blaming. And one finger is pointed right up at God. But look at these three. These three are pointed right back at you. And we know at some level that anger and blame can just overtake us. And soon we begin to use words that show and express and demonstrate both of them. them without even thinking. But we use them. We say them. Now we can post them. And maybe most of all, and the most difficult of all, is that we integrate them into our relationships. Stephen Webster is a professor of political science at Indiana University. Insurrectionist, rioters, excuse me now, 
Watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. Say only what helps. Each word is a gift. Don't break God's heart. His Holy Spirit is moving and breathing in you in the most intimate parts of your life, making you fit for Himself. Don't take such a gift for granted. He then says, <clears throat> Make a clean break with all cutting, backbiting, profane talk. Be gentle with one another. Sensitive. Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ has forgiven you. Now I believe that the two greatest rhetorical leaders in our nation's history our nation's history. President Abraham Lincoln and Dr. Martin Luther King. Without And we take them to be two of the greatest leaders we ever had. Because, among other attributes, one, they were purposeful in their use of words. Two, they knew they were being listened to all the time. Three, they knew they were being recorded. And four, they knew they were being watched. One was uneducated, the other had a PhD. One came from complete poverty and deprivation, and the other came from a background of standing, but experienced hardship because of the color of his skin. But each, each foretold a future. Each reached beyond the impossible and invited all of us to a more excellent way. Each wanted to move an unwilling country to a better place using peaceful means. And each of them are revered as leaders worthy of remembering. I believe that they understood that words mattered, that the words we use have the power to heal and the power to destroy, the power to build up and the power to break down. Because words create Worlds and words define us. James, the book of James, a little tiny book of James, is one of my favorite books. Very practical, it's easy to read. James was a pastor, he has lots of practical examples in his few chapters. And I'm not going to read the entire section about the tongue, but I want to read the very end of what he writes in the third chapter. 
Do you want to be counted wise? To build a reputation for wisdom? Here's what you do. Live well. Live wisely. Live humbly. In verse 17 he says, real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. It is gentle. It is reasonable. Overflowing with mercy and blessings. Not hot one day and cold the next. Not two-faced. And I love this line. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoy its results only, only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. I think we need to remember that our lives belong to Christ and our citizenship is first and foremost in heaven. In heaven. Our lives belong to Christ and not some political party, not some social media corporation, not some movement, not some network. And what we do and what we say and how we act are to reflect Jesus we believe is the Christ, who is for us the Lord of our life, and we follow him. I'm convinced that a greater percentage of what we think about, what we say, and what we do should be a reflection of what we get from Scripture, from what we might get from our daily devotions, or maybe what we get from personal growth materials, and not a regurgitation of the news channel that we like to watch, or the social media accounts that we follow, or the papers that we You and I have a higher calling, not only to proclaim good news, but to tell the world about God's expectations. And it is tough. Don't get me wrong. This is not easy. This is the hard part of being called a Christian. But you and I, as citizens, of above citizens of heaven are about the business of transforming this angry, broken, agonized world into reflection of Christ's justice and Christ's peace. That's what we are to be about. Nothing more. 
The world is changed by your example and not your opinion. The Apostle Paul was spot on when he wrote these words in Romans. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. Be a new and different person with a fresh newness in all you do and all you think. So here's my hope. Here's my prayer. As together we begin this new year. I would like us to think find the 